Welcome again. My name is Tony Weeder. We have talked about folk Islam and even some some topics concerning African traditional religions. And we also have discussed the issue of evangelism and discipleship. So the third is the possession of power for which there is knowledge. Many Ethiopians or Africans or Asians or Middle Easterners will relate to this in terms of possession of power to control people. Uh, even here with, in terms of the new age, mind control and what have you, uh, trying to control other. And so when you possess that power, you become, that can also be syncretized in Africa, as like Senegal. Uh, when I was in Senegal, I saw that. I mean, people are literally enslaved to these men. Whatever they say, people are doing it. With that power, because you are even afraid, you, you remember when we talk about cursing and blessing in the context of folk Islam, people are afraid of these people, especially at this stage, they're afraid of them. That if I say anything or do anything or cross them, they could harm me. Or someone could go to them so they become very powerful within the community. And you won't believe this. And someday when we have time, especially we'll look at the power of the blacksmith in West Africa. Some of these people find themselves in blacksmith kitchen. But they are very, very powerful. And people are afraid of them because of the knowledge they have of the unknown spirit world. Uh, let me just talk about that a little bit in terms of the unknown spirit world. Some of these men control our politicians in Africa. Some of these men become, I mean, they become kingmakers. And some of these men, I'm not saying that in all cases or in all places now in terms of East Africa, Central Africa, West Africa, Southern Africa, or even India, uh, but I'm talking about the context from which I come from, especially in the Liberian context. Some of these people are the ones that are still carry on and say, oh, you know what? You need to make him a sacrifice. These are people that cannot read and write. And then they tell you to go do things. And people who are well-educated, quote-unquote, will go do exactly what these so-called holy men have told them to do. It is really scary and when these men and women become powerful. And that's a third stage. I, I think many of them want to be there in terms of being powerful and having the knowledge of the unknown world. And that's why uh, I said that we cannot teach folk Islam without blending it with, with Sufi, you know, Sufi Islam in that it just fit perfectly well. And people are attracted to Sufi Islam because it also appealed to the African, you know, uh, the Africans and especially West Africans, be it Malians or Beninoids or Burkina Faso, folks from Burkina Faso or Ivory Coast, these places where the desert area, uh, people just get away and want to meditate. The next one we find that when, uh, when when in contemplating the nature of God, he reaches a state of mental and spiritual excitement, which is seen as the right enlightenment of his heart by God and is called ecstasy. Well, I don't know if any of you have ever been to an African worship. Oh boy, talk about dancing. Um, this is where they have arrived and it's almost like someone is really high on opium. And, they, they, and trust me, some of them actually do smoke opium. Uh, it's part of the worship. Uh, I was in Sheshamani 
Shechemani is a town in, in this place here uh, in Ethiopia. And there were uh, the Rastafarians uh, from Jamaica have gone and they meditate. When they do that meditation, is done through marijuana. Uh, and it, they, they become really high in screaming. And this is why they're talking about, but this is a little different, where the nature, they reach a stage of mental and spiritual excitement, which is seen as direct enlightenment of his heart by God. And it's called uh, Wali or Eskese. Uh, I mean, they just, they have arrived. And you see that in uh, uh, not all Pentecostal, but some Pentecostal worship services, uh, in part of East Africa and part of Central Africa where people are just screaming and jumping because God, they are possessed by God and that God have possessed them. And so, but these are things we have to analyze as disciples. These are the things we have to analyze as pastors to see how best we can communicate the gospel, how best we can share the gospel with them because without a clear understanding of some of these things. And the sad thing is with all discipleship, some of these people become Christian and bring the same beliefs and same attitude in the church. And so I hope and pray that we'll be able to, to really engage that. In this stage, that means the stage we just talked about, he is believed to receive a revelation of the true nature of God and thus to have reached uh, all truth. There's an Arabic word there. <laughs> like I said, I don't want to bore you to death by trying to pronounce it. But uh, he received a revelation of the truth nature of God and thus reach what? That man, he knows the truth now. He has arrived. Uh, it's not just in eschesy, but also facts, and everything is there. Power is there. And so these are the points in Sufi, the different stages of uh, the journey in life. We're talking about on the journey have been described by and written by Sufi Muslims. These are the journeys. These are the stages of Sufi, you know, Sufi Muslims from stage to stage. And so the fourth is extension, fana or uh, absorption in God for which there is no truth. You just lost it. You know, you, you, everything you do, your speech, your writing, uh, your sneezing and everything is all part of God now. From there, he goes to the stage of what they call union with God. So from there, he goes on to the stage where he went. Well, he become or he's the union with God. He's one with God. That's the grand finale. He has arrived. Uh, there's no more turning. Um, and then after this, he continues with his life of self-denial, contemplation until death, which is seen as fana, extension or total absorption into God. But then there's a contradiction, if you remember what it said in terms of the body is in the cage. So if we could just come on that a little bit and, 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 and see in terms of the self-denial and, and contemplation. But if we actually go back, uh, you remember we talked about in one of the, the lectures, I talked about there's no discount in discipleship. These are people self-denial. They deny themselves of everything. You know, contemplation. Until death. You see, this is where 
you, you know, you just sit or think and process that if these people have no hope, have no God, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, excluded from everything in terms of the fellowship of God, the God that we serve, the living God, but yet they are doing all of this for naught. Think about that. All right. Some practices, oh no, we, we, I'm, I'm jumping ahead of myself here. From there he goes on to, uh, okay, you know we've gone. After this, he continued this life uh, from Fana, that is extension, to a total absorption. He absorbed himself in God. Now some Sufi religious practices or practice. Let's look at that. Some of the practices of them. And keep the mana about folk Muslims as we go from Sufi Islam and keep your mind with some of the practices of the, of the folk Muslim with that of Sufi Muslims. They have historically developed different orders who, who often live in religious communities or farming collectives. Uh, every year, more than two million Marie followers converge on the holy city of Tuba, Senegal, to celebrate their annual pilgrimage at the great mosque. There's a picture right there you can see. Well, uh, Amandou Bamba was buried. This celebration commemorates the dead Amandou Bamba left for exile in Gabon. Amandou Bamba is very popular in West Africa. He's, uh, he was from Senegal. His influence, people still go to his tomb today to worship. But Amanu Bama was one of the founding fathers. If, if you see that the train, there's a train right there in that picture transporting people. These are Murids, the Murid Brotherhood. Um, going on that train, thousands of people uh, going out there to be part of the celebration of, of, of Amandou Bamba when he left uh, um, for exile from Senegal to Gabon. The next we see there is honor the guidance of spiritual master, sheikh or holy man. The Sufi disciple seeks to move up through the stages of discipline to union with God by tradition, by the tradition of Muhammad, that is the Hadith or Sunan is reported to have said, God said, my servant does not cease to approach me with acts of devotion until they become the foot with which he walks, the, the hand with which he grasps, and the eye with which he sees. Sharing, you see, um, you also see over there that they are sharing food. There's a picture there, and this is all part of the worship. That's the part I like, uh, where they, they come together and share food and pray and, 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 and eat together. But keep this in mind. Where do these people get the ideas from in terms of meditation, being one with God, of finding the knowledge and nature of God? It's all from the Christians. But we have left it. The congregations meet with the master for spiritual sections. At the Zawahi, by tradition, Muhammad is reported to have said, whenever men gather together to call upon the name of God or Allah, they are surrounded by angels 
the divine favor envelops them and glory as Shekinah descends upon them and God remembers them in his assembly. So people gather for this experience. They gather to do these things because Muhammad said, Let's just analyze that. When men ever gather together, call upon the name of Allah. It's, it's somewhere in the Bible that where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I will be. Again, when we see passages like this, and then we find out that there's a, almost a replica in Scripture, we take things like that immediately in order to confront them with the love of Jesus Christ. The me, the me means used to achieve this oneness with God is through dakka, remembrance or calling on the name of God. How many times have you heard in scripture call on the name of God? So this is again repetition through the rosary, going through it over and over the 99 names of God. And why are they doing this? In order to be one with the master in order to be one with God and only God alone they can be one with. The next we see in our study in file our Quran it will be what chapter 2 verse 152 3 uh, 191 and 26 227 chapter 29 45. In their all-night worship they may repeat the name of Allah or Muslim creed Ilah Ilala over and over with accompanying body movements. Uh, you have to really see this to feel the experience with these people. It's large crowd of people, thousands of people like we saw on the train, the picture we saw over there on the train. Large crowd of people swaying from one place to a place. Dance I can do. I, I could dance here, but there, there's no music. So I'm not going to make a fool out of myself. But they are dancing, with swaying from one thing to, and screaming, Ila, Ilala, or Allah Al-Kuba. You have seen that. In fact, one thing, when I watch TV or read a newspaper, what they write about Libya, you have the rebel forces that are fighting Gaddafi, saying, Allahu Al-Kuba, and they are Muslims. And then you have the government forces fighting the rebels, saying, Allahu Al-Kuba, repeating the name of Allah, believing that that will protect them. But just go over and over and eschise, Ilah uh, Ilala, there's, there's no other God but Allah and his prophet Muhammad, and then like a chorus, and we've got them moving their body from place to place, drilling from here and there. So <laughs> it's, it's, it is interesting to, I wanted a cultural shock, um, especially for people doing this course in Africa who have nev never come to America or come to any of the Western uh, part of North America or Western Europe. When I first came to this country, I went to a church. And when I got to this church, everything, people just stood up still and they sang the amazing grace, whatever chorus they were singing. And everything is just so stiff. No one is moving. And then I decided to say, Amen. And when I said, Amen, people turned around to see whether I was okay. And this is, this is where, but then I said, these Americans are dead. They don't even know how to praise God. But then until I saw the Americans 
you know, cheering their football teams. Oh boy, they take off their shirts. They scream. They do all kinds of things if it comes to their football teams or baseball teams, whatever that is. And, but so this is not new to Africans when they say these people are moving, swaying from place to place, or to Asians that they are swaying from moving their bodies, body movement. No, we understand that. Uh, repeating the name of God. In fact, in most of our worship as Christians in Africa, BA East, I was in church in, in, in Ethiopia, uh, in Eritrea, in, in Kenya, in Liberia, in Senegal, in Nigeria, in Ghana, in, in Africa Coast, uh, in Cameroon. All these places, people, when they worship God, oh, do we worship God. So this is not strange to us when you see what they're doing here. And then at the end of this, their desire is to achieve closeness or unity with God. It's often believed manifested by going into a trance or smoothing that, I mean, we have it. Uh, again, this is so similar to, I hate to use the word Pentecostal because they are brothers and sisters, but they really know how to worship and dance for God. So these people were... The number one goal is the closeness, unity with God. Believe to manifest. Yeah, you go in trends. I have gone to churches in some part of Africa. People are slain in the spirit, they drop. Um, I gave a quick story, and this happened in the West. And so if uh, I remember, I think this whole thing started from Canada. It's called the Holy Laughter, where people will go in trends and they would just laugh. And they were, about four or five years ago, this became huge, even in America. In churches, the, the pastor would just touch their head and then they would just be laughing. And it was called holy laughter. So it is no different from what the Sufi Muslims are trying to do here. They are in trends and the whole concept, the whole desire is to feel God. Can you imagine? I think it's in Revelation chapter 2. Is it chapter 2, verse 20? It said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if you hear my voice and open the door, this is Jesus speaking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in, sit with you, eat with you. That's the God we serve. He's living. We don't have to go in trends for, for us to experience him. He's logical. He's rational. He's a God that speaks. He touches and feel like us. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2 says he became just like us to experience everything except for sin. And yet, we can fellowship with him. You remember the verse we quoted in John chapter 14? I go and prepare a place for you. This is literal. God is out there. He's going to prepare a place for us. And Jesus said, when I'm done preparing that place, I will come for you. That where I am, there you will be also. Don't you think your Sufi friend or your Sufi Muslim friends will want to hear a message like this? Yes, it is true. You can be one with God. Yes, Jesus become your brother. God become your father. Don't you think you can do that? Don't you think you can share this with your Muslim or Sufi Muslim friend? We can do it. And fifth, suppressing of the self and spiritual poverty. Emptying of the soul of false self-reality to make room for God's will as seen as important. One Muslim tradition says, worship God 
as if you saw him. For if you do not see him, still he sees you. To this the Sufis add, and if there were no you, you will see him. Wow. We will stop there as we conclude. Let me just go over that quotation again because it is, I mean, it's almost, you could almost adapt that. For if you do not see him, still he sees you. To this the Sufis add, and if there were no you, you will see him. You remember when Hagar in Genesis chapter 16, he said, now I see the God that sees me. And the whole desire is for them to see God. It's for them, for, for them to become one with God. It's for God to come to them. And that I will see and feed him. But again, coming to scripture, our Jesus, our Father, our God, who have, I mean, become like us. He took on us. The incarnation, God became man. So man would be able to understand God. God took on him on flesh and dwelt among us. Went hungry, was thirsty, was tempted with everything. He sat with us. In fact, in 1 John chapter 1, uh, it's a beautiful passage for witnessing to Sufi Muslims. John said, what we, from the beginning, what we saw, what we touched, no, I sat with him. John is saying, I sat with him. I ate with him. I walked with him. Uh, we, we, we talked together. I shared meal with him. We prayed together. And that's the Sufi Muslim's desire. And we have that. We have that hope. We have that plan. Remember, um, I think it was Moses. I love the passage. It's in Exodus chapter 34. Moses says, I want to see your face. God said, no, you cannot see my face and live. But when my glory pass, I will put my hand on your face and you will see my glory. My face you cannot see. What a joy. God speaking to Moses. God speaking to Abraham. God speaking to Jeremiah. This is the hunger. This is the desire of the Sufi Muslims. So, brothers and sisters, as we approach and engage Sufi Islam, it is no different from any other Muslims or any other false cult. It's the same desire, the hunger to know God, the thirst for his holiness. And only God can quench that thirst. Thank you, Jesus, for this class. Amen.